Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to Tune In, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and I'm here today with Patricia Kleindienst. Welcome, Patricia. Thank you. Good to be here. Um, Patricia is the curator of a newly opened exhibit, No One Remembers Alone, Migration and the American Family. It's opened in our Breckner Gallery at the Yiddish Book Center, and we wanted to have her in for a visit today. Um, and first of all, I want to say congratulations. This is just an absolutely stunning and wonderful and meaningful exhibit. Oh, thank you so much. That really means a lot to me. Um, and I wondered if you would share a little bit about the backstory and sort of how you came to this project. Sure. Um, other writers may hear this at some point and laugh, a laugh of recognition. But my first book was about immigrants and their gardens, and it's a kind of Trojan horse for learning about um, world migration and politics and land. And I was originally going to include this story about Abram Spiwak, who went to this farm school uh, funded by the Baron de Hirsch's organization in Russia, and it didn't fit. My editor said, all the other gardeners are alive. He's not. It doesn't really work. So I was pressed to leave it out, and I couldn't stop thinking about the story which had come to me from one of my best friends, Alice Linder, who lives up in Dutchess County, who when she would listen to me talk about my latest interview with an immigrant gardener would say, you know, did I ever tell you that gardening played a role in my grandfather's escape from Tsarist Russia? And I thought, wow, that sounds amazing. So I asked her to tell me the story, and she didn't know very much, but she said she had a little five-and-a-half-page memoir that he dictated to a niece late in his life, and she sent it to me, and that's how the whole thing got started, from that little five-page autobiography. And for our listeners and for those who haven't had the opportunity yet to visit and see the exhibit, maybe you could just sort of describe it. It's an exhibit based on postcards and ephemera. Yes, it is. Um, So Alice gave me this story, and I started doing all this research, and then I decided I was just going to introduce myself to all the family elders and interview everybody and ask them what they had that I might see. And over a period of six years, as I visited 36, at least 36 members of the extended family, I began to realize that most of what they had were these beautiful old postcards, which are known as real photo postcards. That is, there's a real photograph that's been taken and, um, produced on postcard stock, and most of these are 100 years old, at least. And then, so that's one part of the postcard aspect of the show. The other, which is the heart of the first gallery, that Abram and Sophie were separated by the failed revolution of 1905, which was a bloody, chaotic, terrible time. She got out with her whole family and came to America first in 1906, and it took Abram a year and a half to get out and find her, but he did. And so in 1907, he found her again on the Lower East Side, but he took a job in the flower industry in New Jersey, and they communicated for two years, arranging their trysts and meetings by penny postcards. And these are classics of the postcard era, and most of them still have their penny stamps on them. So in the first gallery, there are 24 cards exchanged by the young lovers from 1907 to 1909. And in the upstairs gallery, there are 24 cards Um, that were sent from various people spread across three continents, from Russia, Romania, from Argentina, from America. And it's all about how the family, as they were being separated by the pressure to emigrate, the need to emigrate, tried to keep in touch in any way they could. And the postcard was the cheapest, most effective way to do that. 
I found that the exhibit is sort of multi-layered, if I can refer yes. to it that way. It really it tells the story of Abram and Sophie through their postcards to one another and accompanying documents. But it also seems to really tell a wider story. Did you imagine that their narrative would provide a context for understanding the Jewish immigrant experience? That was my hope. It took a while to figure out exactly what I had. I just kept following my nose and learning more and more and more. And Abram and Sophie are really considered the founders of this new American family. And they were the ones that brought dozens of people out of Eastern Europe. And I soon realized that if I told the story in the right way, it would do two things. Number one, it would open a door into a moment in history that has been overshadowed by the Holocaust. That is, a generation before the Nazis tried to exterminate the Jews, it was the Russians who were the arch enemies of the Jews. There were most of the Jews in the world, the largest number in the world, lived in Tsarist Russia. Um, and that story has been sort of cliched in things like Fiddler on the Roof, you know. But in fact, it's a very important, complicated story that most people don't know. So that was one thing I thought, wow, a Brahmin Sophie story really allows me to recreate a moment in history in a very personal, intimate way. The second part is the memory in the title of my show, which is, I'm a third-generation American. Three of my four grandparents were immigrants. And most of the people I know and have talked to, whether they're Jewish or not, they don't know anything about their grandparents' story of migration. Why did they leave? How did they know where to go? What made them take this risky journey? How did they take it? How long did it take? What was it like to come here? All of those very basic questions were completely unanswered. There was just this big hole in memory. And on top of that, the other layer if we're talking about layers, this is a really um, powerful layer, is they didn't want to talk about it. The situation in Tsarist Russia was awful for Jews, and with the pogrom of Kishinev, a new period of state-sponsored violence against Jews began, and Jews began to defend themselves. So Abram and Sophie also represent the first generation of radicalized Jews who formed defense units. And the, the pogroms were really bestial. It's a, an appropriate word for the kinds of savagery, brutality these mobs visited on Jews. And so people didn't talk about it. Whenever Abram and Sophie's children would ask them about their lives in Russia, they had only one response. You shouldn't know from it. And that's all they would say. Mm -hmm. So there's been, um, there's been a kind of reluctance to pass on the memory to protect children born in America, and perhaps in a part to protect themselves. It was just too awful a history. You, you you talk about the sort of intimacy of the story, and one of the things is, I mean, it's visually, it's a stunning exhibit. The, the, the postcards are intriguing, um, some of the other accompanying graphics, et cetera. But you chose to do something truly wonderful, I think, um, which was to provide translation for each one of the postcards, which yes. is this incredible way to access both the everyday and it again it just it reveals so much about their lives both what was happening around them their mm -hmm. response to it um and at what point did you realize that that was also a key element which i, I imagine you think of it as a key element to the show the translation too. yeah well you know i think of the postcards as a way for us to experience the language barrier from the other side Right, so I don't know the languages my grandparents spoke, and most third-generation American Jews 
I hazard to say, do not know, are not fluent in Russian or Yiddish, or those who went to Argentina, they're not fluent in Spanish. So they have these talismanic photographs and postcards that are inscribed with messages, and they have no idea what they say. They don't even know who they are. So it never even dawned on me not to translate them. I translated every single piece of evidence I found, wherever I found it, because, you know, I'm a writer. I want a story. And also there's something so almost miraculous about these voices emerging from obscurity, you know, and speaking to us with this urgency and intimacy from, you know, 1899 on. You know, when Charna Mm -hmm. Tharafkhan writes to her son in America, you know, please send me money, you know, I need money, you begin to realize how long-lived and deep the connection was between the people who got here and the people they left behind. So, um... I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, it does. Um, And I wonder, there were, you also acknowledged the many, many people who helped you to piece together this story. And I wondered how that's impacted, um, had an impact on their lives and basically their understanding of a family's story. You mean the family itself? Yeah. The translators? Both. Um, Um, It may have prompted the translators to go back, but certainly the family story. Yes. I I decided that since this family... um, entrusted me with these treasures, um, that I, each time I unearthed something important, a, a missing piece of the family story, like the two sisters Abram had that no one would ever talk about. I guess I should say, you know, Abram was one of eight siblings, and so was Sophie. So we're talking about a lot of people to do the migration narrative for, and I tried to do every single member of Abram's family. So back to translation. I belong to Jewish Genealogy Online, jewishgen.com, and it's an extraordinary international community of volunteers, and their energy, their excitement was incredible to me. For example, one of the granddaughters of Hannah and Israel Milstein had donated all these papers in languages she didn't understand to the Statue of Liberty and Ellis Island Foundation, and I wrote to the archivist and called her, and she scanned the front page of each of these documents and sent them to me. And when I posted them online at Jewish Gen, I got an email from a woman in Brazil who said, may I please translate for you? This is the Hebrew my grandfather spoke. Mm. This is the Hebrew my grandfather wrote. This is poetic, literary Hebrew. And my hair stood on end, and she translated this document, which was homage to Israel's son, who had died two years before he emigrated to America, and it's this beautiful letter of friendship. And it was the only way I could identify a photograph and so know who this dead child was. So the translators played an active role. There are translators all over the world who leaped into it and said, send me anything. I'll translate anything for you. And so I don't know how to explain it, except that it's a collaborative joy, excitement. It's an overcoming of sorrow. So much has been lost. And I think everybody is participating in the sense of, isn't it wonderful that something can be found? Yeah, I mean, you, you gain so much by um, revealing what was written and just putting it all together. At, yeah. at what point did, did you imagine this becoming an exhibit? I don't think you started into this thinking you were creating an Not exhibit. Not at all. It was going to be a book. And um, about a year ago, a little over a year ago, I realized that I had this tremendous visual archive. And I'll return to the family part of your question in a second. And I thought, you know, what I find most compelling is the images. 
and when I when I would go to an elder's house, um, you know, I went to visit Phyllis Saraf Khan in New Jersey, the daughter-in-law of Abram's sister, who lived to be 101, and I sat on the floor with these suitcases full of images, and I. Um, I'm sorry, I'm losing your question. Forgive me. Just no, no, back. no, keep going. Well, so I, I kept thinking, I'm going to write this book, and the book just sort of mushroomed and mushroomed because every time I'd find a box of something or a drawer of something or a suitcase of something, I'd think, oh, my God, here's another branch of the family, and there's this gigantic family in Argentina I didn't know about. How can I ever write this in a book? And I thought, I know. I think it's better to just have the postcards. Just let people see the images because what most people have left are images not a lot of letters. These are not people who wrote. These are humble people who changed history. Millions of these people voted with their feet. You know, they mm-hmm. left Russia, they came to America. And that's what I think most third-generation American Jews of Eastern European descent will have. And so I was very excited by it. I said, I want to do an exhibit. I've never done an exhibit in my life. I love photography. I love visual things. I also did research on Jewish postcards and realized Nobody, absolutely nobody I could find here or in Europe or in England has actually studied these photo postcards made by Jewish photographers in Jewish shops in these shtetls in Europe. That was fascinating, you know, reading the captions about um, sort of the evolution of Jews and the postcard was, and it's different than the carte de visite, and it was fascinating. I had no idea. Neither did I. It's just when I started realizing that most of the images I was collecting fell into two categories. They were either the very, very beautiful cabinet portraits or carte de visite, or they were postcards, and there was no in-between. And that's when I said, I've, I've got, and I would just write, I wrote to scholars all over the world, and I just said, I have this collection. Um, do you know of anybody who's written about it? Have you ever heard of this? And they would write back. I think you've got something there. I've never read anything about it. So um, it changed entirely how I want to approach writing. So now it's going to be a visual biography, letting the pictures speak. And I will provide the historical context so that people can open it and be moved to go find their own history. That's really the larger aim of this, is Mm -hmm. to show people that what appears to have been lost, what appeared to be irretrievable for half a century, can actually be found. It can be put back together. There are always going to be holes. There are always going to be mysteries. But the larger narrative can be recovered, and that feels miraculous to me. Um, I think that's a very eloquent way of describing what the takeaway is from the show. There's, oh, no, there's no doubt about that. And I just wonder, what, sort of one last question, um, was there a moment that revealed itself and sort of help to set all of this in motion for you? I went to the, um, let's see, you mean one moment about the exhibit? Yeah, um, or, or just sort of when this family became one that you thought, I really need to know? Yeah, I think it was Abram's memoir just struck me as being so powerful. And when I Googled these names, you know, Kishin of 1903, Odessa 1905, and especially the Baron de Hirsch, I thought, this is a huge story. This is an epic story. And when I started doing research on the Baron and realized nobody has done him justice, I thought, I have this other huge story. And the more I asked the family, the more I realized they didn't know their own history. Um, And so they are emblematic of the situation of third-generation Americans, as am I. And so 
there isn't one moment. It's sort of a cumulative feeling that, oh, I do have something here, and let me find the most original, specific way in. And that's what initiated the show, with the postcards at the center and the history and the portraits all around the walls. And what an amazing gift to the family. Yes, uh, they love it. Like they it, really loved yeah. it. Yeah. Um, well, Patricia, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, for those of you who are listening, No One Remembers Alone, Migration and the American Family, is on exhibit at the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. The exhibit and other exhibits at the Center's Museum are open to the public Sunday through Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. I urge you to visit. The, uh, the Yiddish Book Center is closed Sundays, December through March. But otherwise, please come visit. It's a stunning stunning exhibit um, and an inspiring one. And again, thank you, Patricia, for sharing this with us. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Tune In, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Mass. To subscribe to this and other podcasts, visit our website, yiddishbookcenter.org. Our producer is Sarah Bleichfeld. I'm Lisa Newman. Be well, be healthy, and tune in again soon.